is fine now Let's sleep in dogs late All our minds made up now All our beds are made No one's out of time now Chips for where they may Leave it all behind Let the ocean wash away
Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to What Wellness. Today is Sunday, May 7th, 2023, broadcasting out of New York for White Wellness Radio. That song was Lana Del Rey with Religion back in 2015. So welcome, everybody, to the broadcast. The name of today's broadcast is Astrophilia, a little word that I made up, I don't know, I guess a couple of weeks ago. Uh, estro, of course, meaning estrogen. If you look back in the archives, I did many a shows about estrogen. Uh, most notably, I did two shows, I believe it was last calendar year, called Estrodysgenics. And of course, philia is related to um, a fetish coming from the word um, philos or philosophy, meaning love of something. So yeah, I've kind of come to this conclusion that um, we're living in a world, obviously, that's very estrogenic. But I believe there's sort of a modern fetish of hormone imbalance as well as demineralization, which goes hand in hand with hormonal imbalance. Oftentimes, we think that hormonal imbalance is the root of something when it can't be the root because minerals are the first thing. Minerals make enzymes and enzymes make hormones. So it really goes down to a root level of minerals being kind of like a tiered thing. You need to have the minerals to make the enzymes, to make the hormones. So I think in many ways we live in this modern zaggy zag society that is basically a fetishization of hormone imbalances and demineralization. And it's very easy to get into this uh, position. It's easier to get into this position earlier in life, more so now than it ever has been. We live in a world where there's a lot of precocious puberty where youngsters are going through the change of developing secondary sex characteristics very early. Uh, we also have a world where women are going through the change or menopause a lot earlier than they're supposed to, if that's even supposed to happen in the first place. That's something that's debatable. So we're going to be discussing a lot of these things today on the broadcast, um, kind of from a, a multifaceted perspective. But first, the word of the week or month or however long it's been since I've done a show. I'm getting lean on this deck. I'm just shuffling up what's left of this deck and I'm gonna pick one. All right, here we are. The word is gossamer. All right. Middle English condensation of goose summer. Used in England and Scotland for the unseasonably warm autumn weather 
that in North America is called Indian summer. In England, gossamer was also a fine, filmy material made of cobwebs spun by tiny spiders, especially in the fall. In Sweden, or Swedish rather, the filament was called summertrad, summer thread, which resembles goose down. Legend has it that this ethereal, ethereal substance of the god's summer was a trail left by the Virgin Mary when she ascended into heaven. So that's the word gossamer. I've heard that word before, but I did not know that it was a blending of goose and summer. Interesting. The more you know, it's always nice to know these old-fashioned words when we live in a society where uh, words like uh, twerk and ratchet and uh, what's that one, on fleek, I don't even know. I mean, I don't, I don't utilize these, these uh, words, selfie, you know, these types of uh, nonsense, nonsense uh, sounds, I would, I would deem those, not really words. So to start off, I'm going to be talking about something that I've seen as I've been walking around the stores and seeing the adverts in person or online. Maybe you guys have seen this too. So they've obviously already polluted the beer supply for the, you know, for most intensive purposes, unless you're drinking some really good German beer. But the majority of beer, especially here in the States, is super hopped. That's very much the trend these days, these very piney beers and as we've talked about on prior broadcasts, hops are extremely estrogenic. The men who work in the hop fields get something called brewer's droop. I think you can understand what that means. It's ED, erectile dysfunction. And women oftentimes will have um, issues with starting their cycle early, starting an early menarche. Menarche is the word for when your first period happens, just like menopause is your last period. Or they'll have shorter cycles based on the exposure to estrogen. So if it wasn't bad enough that we're swimming in this estrophilic soup, now they are promoting the idea of hopped water, which of course comes in a can. doesn't come in glass, right? It's either in a can or plastic. And of course, anything that comes in a can or a tin or plastic is going to be more estrophilic or estrogenic than anything coming in the glass. And there's this trend of CBD water as well, or these CBD spritzers, which tend to be kind of on the expensive side too. Some of these cans of these spritzers going for more than just a can of beer will go for. And I think with the instance of the hop water, I don't think you get like twisted or wasted off of the hop water, but the CBD, which is one of the uh, chemical constituents in the marijuana plant, that actually will give you not a high, more of a, like a relaxed type of feeling. Some people get very, very tired from CBD. Keep in mind that both CBD and THC are not just estrogenic, they are also high in polyunsaturated fats, and they're also high in carotenoids, making them high in vitamin A. So we can see that there's a, you know, an attack, if you will, from all different angles, and not good enough just to drink regular, you know, low-quality uh, tap water or regular low-quality bottled water. Now they're promoting the idea of drinking hopped water or CBD-infused water, when water should be something that you drink to get hydration. Hopefully it's mineralized. Hopefully it's had any of the heavy metals and the fluorides and all the sludge filtered out of it. But now they have to snare people with basically this super estrogenic water that either has hops or CBD. I believe that hops are related to the marijuana plant as well. 
and of course, if it's coming in, like I said, a um, can or plastic, it's going to be even more so. So something to look out for if you've seen this trend uh, about. I've, I've personally not tried these products. They have no interest for me. I, I don't buy water. I spent my money on a good water filter for my house. And when I'm out and about, I take water with me in a, in a glass jar or a glass bottle. That's kind of how I do it. The only time I really ever use a plastic bottle is if I'm going on a plane. Actually, then I'll usually use one of those metal bottles. Or if I'm going to be like taking like a long day trip and I'm going to be on foot with like a backpack and I'm going to be like, you know, walking around like a city or, or something like that. But yeah, uh, just something to be on the lookout for are these hop waters and these CBD waters, which are, I can't even imagine they would taste any good. They probably taste like absolute shit. Um, but, you know, a lot of people aren't really um, cognizant to understand that something tastes poor and that it's bad for them. So just something to be on the lookout for right there. So a couple of more things, actually a lot of more things on this show. I've been thinking about this, too. I've been thinking about how we live in this society that really applauds and, and lauds uh, victim consciousness. You know, we have all the Oive victim consciousness, the BLM victim consciousness, the transsexual victim consciousness. And that way of going about things is a very estrogenic state. It's a, it's a fantasy state for a lot of those groups anyway, obviously. But if we are constantly thinking that we're going to be a victim, those thoughts eventually, essentially metastasize into being a victim. And that in itself can be really bad for our sex hormones. Remember that estrogen is not a sex hormone the way that testosterone and pregnenolone and progesterone are. Estrogen is actually more of a shock or stress hormone, and it goes up as we go on in our years. There's three types of estrogen too. There's uh, estradiol, which is typically made during the childbearing years, and I believe that's the one that goes up in both sexes when they're dealing with a state of, um, of dominance of that. Then there's estriol, which is the one that is the pregnancy estrogen, which goes up, of course, during pregnancy, as does progesterone. And then post-change for women, we have the estrogen called estrone, which um, can go up after menopause. And we're always told in the Zog dialectic that women are, quote, estrogen deficient after menopause. Well, it's actually that a certain type of estrogen goes up and another one that's usually for the childbearing years that we have to thicken the lining of the uterus, make the yoni nice and juicy. That's the one that tends to go down. So there's so many snares out there. And then, of course, we're living in this world, and this goes for guys and gals, we're living in this world where there are heaps of xenoestrogen, xeno meaning foreign, you know, like xenophobia, that word they like to throw around in our face. Now I've seen on the news media, they're using the phrase asylum seekers. It's no longer immigrants, right? It's asylum seekers, all this, you know, fancy language. But anyway, xenoestrogens are things like um, using Tide detergent to wash your clothes, using Febreze, um, using Glade plugins. Those are all xenoestrogens. And then we have phytoestrogens, which would be from foods and herbs and things like that, like lavender is a phytoestrogen. Tea tree oil is a phytoestrogen. Flaxseed is a phytoestrogen. So we have these natural estrogens our bodies make, and then we have all these estrogens that are coming in. Other classic phytoestrogens, hops, like we just spoke about, which I think legally is in the majority of beers. 
um, marijuana and you know CBD, THC, all phytoestrogenic. Coffee, phytoestrogenic, whether it's decaffeinated or not. All three of these things are very heavily promoted in society. I believe that um, coffee is the number one drug in the world. Remember, there's a lot of countries where they don't use um, alcohol or marijuana because of like religious uh, reasons. Like if you go to areas where Islam is very big, they don't use those things. So something like coffee is going to be drug number one. Drug number two is um, nicotine or tobacco. Interestingly enough, though, not estrogenic, actually an aromatase inhibitor. So it actually can, you know, kind of quell estrogen. And some people say actually raises testosterone. Some say it actually lowers progesterone, but it's not estrogenic or phytoestrogenic like coffee, like alcohol, like marijuana. Uh, alcohol would be the third most popular drug in the world. And the fourth would be marijuana, which you see everywhere now. Um, in Manhattan, they recently legalized it back in, I think like after Christmas, like Yuletide. And everywhere you walk in Manhattan, you see a coffee shop. You see a little like um, convenience store where you can get, you know, booze and energy drinks or whatever. Then you see um, marijuana dispensary. Then you see a pizza place. So you can see exactly what they're promoting. And all of this leads to this estrophilic society that essentially has a fetish for estrogen. And I would even argue to say quite easily that the whole TS agenda is estrophilic. Even if there are women who are taking testosterone, the whole thing is really just being driven by male autogynophilia, men who have a fetish for basically estrogen, right? They want to be women. They almost like want to wear the skin of women. It's it's creeped stuff. Uh, even Oyedei, I would say, was an estrophilic state because there's a lot of fear in Oyedei and the belief of something that doesn't exist in a made-up enemy. And that, of course, is a victim consciousness, and that's estrogenic, right? And this all behooves the Skeksis. They love this type of stuff. They, their hands rub together. They get like so happy about all this. So, But it's mind-seeing, and it's good to be able to put all the pieces together so we can actually see the agenda for what it is and, of course, find ways to you know move beyond the snares, right? And we also have to remember that a lot of these habits, whether it be you know coffee or alcohol or marijuana, they take the edge off in the interim, but long-term they demineralize and they actually make us more anxious and depressed. That's like the catch-22. So let's go over um, a little bit about um, signs that someone may be dealing with um, a little bit too much estrogen. And this would be for guys and gals. This isn't just for gals. This is something that, you know, we always think in society, we think, oh, this is just, you know, for checks. This is girl information. This is ladies, you know, women. It's not necessarily like that. I mean, there's a lot of men walking around that have very estrogenic physiques. Um, testosterone levels are lower than they've probably ever been before in history, especially in a lot of white countries. This is um, very um, disheartening and depressing news. I posted something, I think it was last week or so, on the Racial Science Channel and it looks like sub-Saharan Africa actually has the highest and most steadiest levels of testosterone. If you go back to like ooh, around 19, mid-1960s or so, their testosterone has stayed steady. And then we see areas like Eastern Europe who actually at one point, according to this graph from testosteronedecline.com, 
they in Eastern Europe, not they, but Eastern Europe in general, had higher testosterone than sub-Saharan Africans did up until about the late 70s. And now it's, it's tanked further than the other areas they measure, which include Siberia, North Africa, which of course would be more Moroccan, like those type of people who aren't necessarily Negroid. They may have some Negroid blood, but they're not like sub-Saharan, like um, Negro, like that type of, you know, Negro with the progatism and the wide nose, the Congoid style Negro. Then we have East Asia, it's plummeted, um, all of the West and, um, you know, quote, Latin America, which of course could be mestizos, which are Mongoloid, and of course it could be Aryan population as well. So this is pretty um, grim, pretty dismal news right here across the board. Interestingly, how it really hasn't affected um, sub-Saharan Africans. I'm sure that the individuals who have sub-Saharan African ancestry who are here in the States, they have taken more of a testosterone hit based on the Western lifestyle. And then another chart that I also found at testosteronedecline.com, this was also posted on my channels, that from 1960 to 2020, there's been a massive decline, especially around 1980. There seemed to be quite a intense slump. And then again in 2000, so every 20 years, 1960 and 1980, 1980 to 2000 and 2000 to 2020, there's a massive uh, dip in testosterone. And we can't blame just one thing for this. It's a conglomerate. It's a melange of different things that would be responsible for the testosterone decline. But we have to acknowledge that it's definitely a problem and much of it is a lifestyle issue. So I wrote this little thing right here in regards to this post uh, about testosterone in the USA. I wrote, men, preserve your masculinity. Get the xenoestrogens out of your life and keep the phytoestrogens to a minimum. Alcohol, marijuana, and coffee are all phytoestrogenic. Chill out, don't stress, the world's problems aren't your responsibility. And yes, we can care about the world's problems. We can be cognizant of it. We don't want to keep our heads in the sand or up our bums in regards to what's occurring. But there comes a time when if we're always stressing out, about what's going to happen or what will happen or what we're actually willing to let happen or willing to happen, that can actually keep us in a victim consciousness and make us feel estrogenic, right? And that, that kind of fuels this estrophilia of this, you know, skexis-driven society. So just something to really consider. There comes a time when self-care um, preserves your masculinity more than anything else. And the same thing goes for women. Self-care will preserve your femininity more than anything else. So definitely something to be um, aware of as we, as we navigate these, you know, these, these waters, these murky waters. And I think of the analogy, I've talked about this before in a broadcast, talking about the lotus, the Vedic analogy of the lotus, this beautiful flower that has a root and the root grows in this mud, but the flower rises above. So yeah, there's a lot of mud in this world. There's no doubt about that. There's more mud all the time, but are we going to focus on the mud or are we going to focus on being that beautiful white flower that's blooming, right? Let's focus on the positive, a lot better. You can really move a lot of things within your mind, which will make changes within your body if you're focusing on that. And keep in mind that the more stressed you are, the more of these estrogenic habits you have, the more you're going to burn through minerals. If you drink a lot, you burn through minerals. You drink a lot of coffee, you burn through minerals. You, you smoke a lot of marijuana, you burn through minerals. You need minerals to make enzymes. You need enzymes to make hormones. 
And if you're one of those people listening and say, you know, I don't really partake in, I don't smoke anything, I don't drink caffeine, or maybe I just keep it really lean with stuff like green tea, I don't, I don't take alcohol. Well, there's a million other things out there that could be fiddling with your sex hormone production. We know about all these things from PUFAs to fortified iron to a low protein diet to too much screen time. I mean, it's not just like you have a get out of jail free card if you're not partaking in, you know, these things that take the edge off. So something to consider. So now let's talk about things that are indicative of having what you could call a low metabolism, low organ function, uh, high stress hormones, and low sex hormones to get an idea of how we can decipher within ourselves what some of these symptoms are and how we can go about correcting them. Because remember, this is reversible. It isn't some type of death sentence if we have something going on. I'm a big believer in, in healing for everybody. So there's, there's a lot we can do to heal ourselves, but it takes work. We can't just rely on Dr. Z or a practitioner to heal us and do the work for us. It takes work and work is responsibility. So here are some signs. Weight gain, the inability to put on muscle, having problems with your lymph system, having cold hands and feet, uh, feeling depressed or anxious or having mood disturbances, for ladies having a heavy period or having no period, which would be called amenorrhea if you have no cycle. And of course, if you have no cycle, you have no detox mechanism because the cycle is not just part of, of being a woman for many years of our life, but it's also a way that we detoxify. It's a way that we purge. It's a way that we kind of go through that cyclic thing. And even if we don't get a cycle, if we're dealing with amenorrhea, or if we're past that point in our life when we get a cycle, we're still cyclical beings. Women will always be cyclical beings, and men are more like on an up-down daily thing. Hair loss, another sign. Having digestive issues. Things like heart dis-ease or other heart-related issues. For the ladies, things like premenstrual syndrome or reproductive disorders like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and endometriosis. PCOS is almost kind of like a reproductive diabetes, if you will. Problems with your liver, um, frequent urination, having osteoporosis or arthritis, brittle nails, uh, performing poorly in school or work. This can affect youngsters as well as people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. Being extremely fatigued or being always wired, that would be due to elevated stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol having skin issues like acne and eczema, uh, dental issues, having sleep type of things like sleep apnea, insomnia, or hypersomnia, difficulty swallowing or a hoarse voice, uh, mental issues like schizophrenia, psychosis, memory loss, uh, water retention or edema, having frequent infections. So obviously anyone who kept on getting OEDAI or thinking what they had was OEDAI, obviously they'd be on this list frequent respiratory illness, being intolerant to cold and always feeling cold, being intolerant to heat, uh, having issues with your posture, things like knocked knees, having a muscular disorder or lack of coordination. A lot of these, of course, are liver issues in general, which would be a thyroid issue, which would be a low metabolic issue, which would be an organ issue in general, which would be an estrogen issue. Poor vision, being obese, having cancer, having low appetite. I always think about in nature, when an animal is ready to die, there's two things that happen. 
the appetite goes and the libido goes. Those are signs that it's over for an animal. And with a human, those things may happen 30 to 40 years before the person dies, and they may slowly be dying for decades. But to me, those are the two things, like when I'm working with people and people are telling me what their conditions or symptoms are, someone tells me they have no appetite, no libido, that's the sign of a slow death in my eyes. Constipation, infertility, and rapid aging. We see a lot of rapid aging with people these days. People in their 20s and 30s are rapidly aging. Uh, look at their skin. Look how tired they are. Look at their diets, their energy levels. Having a low tolerance for stress. Having emotional outbursts. Inability to recover from exercise. A lack of sexual maturation. Low libido. Having a pessimistic look on life like a sour mood. And being paranoid. And of course, this can all of these things can be influenced greatly and induced by alcohol, by coffee, and by marijuana. And all three of those substances are heavily promoted, especially here in America. So it's something to definitely consider. Um, and if someone needs those things to function, you have to ask yourself, why, right? Why? We didn't need those things when we were children. Why do we need them now? Something that you might want to ask yourself if you're utilizing these things in a dangerous way, in a daily way, just something to definitely consider. And as you get on in your years, it's going to be harder to use these things, especially if your diet is in the toilet. Um, most people's diets, probably from my opinion, are in the toilet in, in some regard, or at least surfing around the rim. And that's bad news because we want to eat for gut health. We want to eat for nutrient density, we want to eat for blood sugar support, super important, especially as people get on in their lives. Circulation is really important, um, making sure our blood stays at a certain type of viscosity. People get thick, sludgy blood as they get older. Things like the OEDI vaccination uh, poisoned the blood supply. Now there's like a supposed blood shortage. They did it themselves, obviously, all problem, reaction, solution. We also want to eat for liver support. We want to eat for detox and elimination. I'm not talking about heroic methodologies of elimination. I'm talking about eating in a way that's sustainable and tasty and groovy and very sensual and that you're naturally detoxing from eating amazing and great food. You don't need to like, you know, stick a hose up your bum every day to quote detox. Your natural lifestyle is good and enjoyable and ecstatic and you're detoxing and eliminating because of that. Also, you want to eat for uh, support of stress and adrenals. When we think of the adrenals, we could also think of the kidneys. A lot of times in Western med, they're always very focused on adrenal fatigue and all this type of stuff. Some people like to say it doesn't exist, which I think is really gaslighting people who don't feel well. But we have to understand that a lot of these substances we utilize really burn out the adrenals. And when we think about it from a TCM perspective, it's not just the adrenals, it's the kidneys because the adrenal, renal, like kidney system, you know, renal system is the kidney system, they sit on top of the kidneys. So they definitely work in, in tandem. And they say in TCM that the kidneys are the door to life, that your jing, that your essence is stored in the kidneys. So if someone's kidneys are not functioning properly, that's a sign that they're in stress or aging. And aging is stress and stress is aging. And when we lose our kidney jing, we lose our life force. We lose our appetite for food, for life, for libido. And we also want to eat for inflammation reduction. If we do all these things, we end up with happy hormones, a groovy mood, 
and we get enough minerals, right? All this is very, very important, especially in this society that's so disconnected, that promotes the most demineralized uh, toxic foods for our consumption, right? Telling us that all these things are amazing and great for us, when it's obviously a hollow hoax, uh, probably 99% of what they put out there is a hollow hoax. Um, but that's all by design. I think we should be able to see through that that is by design, all their hollow hoaxing. So let's take a gander at the chat. Um, so that was like kind of an introduction, talking about that ridiculous hop water, that CBD water, obviously stay away from that. We talked about different types of estrogen, the whole low T epidemic, um, and then just going through a list of like what would be signs of ill organ function so we can kind of do like a self-diagnostic on ourselves. I remember the, the doctor or the, you know, practitioner who's going to care the most about you is you and sometimes it's nice to work with another human to give you kind of like a structure of what you're you're going to do but nobody knows you like you know yourself so always remember that when you're navigating this information don't gaslight yourself but also be honest with yourself as well okay we've got some people in the chat we've got um Epiphany, you got Josh, some other people joining us right here. Cool. Um, and Josh is saying, a regional beer my wife and I like sometimes is a barley beer, vanilla cream ale. That sounds kind of like a grown-up cream soda, right? Cucumber water. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's actually really good. Cucumbers are a pretty groovy vegetable. They're very cooling, completely and totally cooling. I think they're, you know, really, really nice. Uh, and if you take the peel off, you can lower the vitamin A. So, yeah. Tiffany is saying, I have a problem drinking water. I just don't like it. I do like water. I feel like in the morning, one of my uh, habits that I like to do in the morning is um, drink some warm water, actually, on like an empty stomach. That's great if you want to take a bowel movement, too. Just have some warm water first thing in the morning. Great way to go to the bathroom in the morning, and it just it warms your stomach. When you first wake up, no matter what climate you live in, whether you're living in the tropics or living you know, somewhere Arctic or somewhere temperate or in between, Having a little bit of water in the morning that's like warm or hot. I like to go outside, look at the sun, have my mug of hot water while my egg custard steams and my oatmeal cooks. And that really sets me off on a, on a good good way in the morning. Tiffany is saying California taxed the legal marijuana sale so much that people are going back to buying from dealers. <laughs> I'm not surprised. And something else to consider that all the government regulated marijuana is going to be regulated of course it doesn't mean it's going to be healthier even the stuff that's considered medical like you know uh, medicinal grade they could put all different types of chemicals in that so don't think just because it's legal it's going to be healthier that's a that's a misnomer for sure okay uh moving on with this broadcast talking about a couple of things more i want to talk now a little bit about cannabis and I mentioned in the last show that I did that I'm putting together a course actually on cannabis mitigation because there always seems to be stuff out there in the, you know, the media about, you know, quit smoking, quit alcohol, quit coffee. We've all heard this a million zillion times before, right? It's nothing, it's nothing new. But now we have this kind of medicinal consciousness connected to cannabis. And of course, you know, back in the day in the TCM and the Ayurveda days, it was used in a very different way. It was a very different style of plant, but now we live in a modern world 
where the plant has been modernized and it seems to do more harm than good, especially in the chronic context. Um, and that's really the case with everything. If you're thinking about things as medicine, right, whether it's an allopathic pill or whether it's a herbal medicine, medicine should be something that's taken for a short period of time and then you no longer need it. That's the beauty of medicine. Well, nowadays, because of stress and society, and of course, none of this is judgment on anybody for utilizing these substances. It's just for awareness for our own brains and our own souls so we can have awareness for this. So we can say, ha, huh, you know what? Maybe that's not serving me anymore. Maybe I got to figure out a way to not do this and feel better, actually. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe I could not do something that I've been doing for years and I could actually feel better than when I'm using it, right? Because we end up using these things as band-aids because we don't feel good in the first place. So I just wanted to give a little bit of a idea of cannabis kind of in the modern utilization, the modern contacts. And then if you're interested, when the course is done, you can purchase the cannabis course if that's something that you need help with. Um, I think it's going to be more of a needed thing as time goes by because there's such a laissez-faire attitude associated with um, cannabis. Everyone's considering it medicinal off the bat. And we have to realize that it's a physiologically addictive um, substance. So let's talk about it a little bit in nature, and then when the course is ready, of course, I will let everyone know, of course. So this was from my, um, my telegram. The cannabis plant is highly estrogenic in nature. Yes, that is true. This means that it can raise estrogen in the body because it's phytoestrogenic. When estrogen is an excess in the body, whether you're male or female, it has an effect on our thyroid, right? The master gland, the butterfly gland in our neck, which is the check engine light in our body. And it also has an effect on cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and it also has an effect on our balance of copper or iron, two minerals. Hemp and CBD, so hemp oil, hemp seeds, you know, all, CBD, all these products are also high in polyunsaturated fats, as is marijuana, and they're very estrogenic. And they all have a negative effect on the liver. So anything that's high in estrogen, anything that's high in polyunsaturated fats, you guessed it, will have a negative effect on the liver. Cannabis and CBD have a negative impact on thyroid function, suppressing thyroid hormone secretions. This means that it's basically anti-metabolic or anti-organ. When the thyroid is suppressed, the adrenals, the little glands that go on top of the kidneys, are activated. So when our master gland is suppressed, our adrenals, which are full of cortisol, jump into action because our master gland that uh, regulates our metabolic function is down. Our body is smart. This is a prevention or um, a, uh, I guess this is a, this is a prevention way to keep the body healthy, but it's also a survival mechanism as well. The only thing is that when we get into this state all the time and the thyroid is constantly being suppressed and the adrenals are activated, we get into this constant cat and mouse game of, you know, basically living off of stress. And this is where a lot of us are or have been. Cannabis and CBD stimulate the stress hormones in the body like cortisol, adrenaline, serotonin, which is not the happy hormone. That's a hoax. We've done a lot of shows of this in the past. Serotonin is something that when it's raised, like in the case of people taking SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, it actually makes them numb to society, numb to pain, numb and dumb. So that's why a lot of people who smoke a lot of weed are just like numb to a lot of the problems that are going on in the world, numb to their own traumas, etc. So both cannabis and CBD 
stimulate stress hormones, raise cortisol, raise adrenaline, raise serotonin, and potentially prolactin, which is also a hormone that is considered estrogenic, just like the last three that I mentioned. Of course, it should be slightly raised postpartum when a woman is breastfeeding, hence the word lact or lactation within the context of prolactin. These stress hormones are known to be catabolic. Catabolic, catabolic means something that eats the body. Anabolic means something that builds the body, like anabolic steroids. Not recommending steroids, just giving the example. Something like milk is anabolic. It builds the body. That's why baby mammals, whether they're humans or not, drink milk, right? Catabolic means it makes the body waste, wasting, eating the body, right? Stress, cortisol, all of this eats muscle tissue. Cannabis has been shown in studies to decrease testosterone production in males, probably can decrease testosterone production in females as well, but for men, men need more testosterone in contact. Testosterone is what makes men, men. As we see, this plant has very has various effects on neuroendocrine system, negatively affecting many hormones in the body. And testosterone we need for sex drive, whether we're men or women. Of course, men need more to get the masculine characteristics of a deep voice, a hairy chest, uh, more muscle, more strength. Like these are more focused. These are all traits that, that men who have normal or high testosterone levels have. Women need some, oftentimes when this, the sexist hormones are imbalanced, whether they're male or female, their testosterone will be low and their estrogen will be high. With women, they'll also have low progesterone. And something else too I should uh, mention here, sometimes estrogen in excess, high estrogen, can give people a high sex drive, but it's almost like a weird type of sex drive where like it's like they just have to get off and they'll like usually get off to something like porn or something really fast and quick. And usually porn is associated with more of a fast and quick type of release. Not always, but typically. And then they'll feel like they don't want to have sex. They'll almost feel like a disgust feeling afterwards. So like that is estrogenic sex drive as opposed to a sex drive that is um, regulated by testosterone and progesterone. It'll be more of a sex drive where you want to get into the act of sex. You want to have it for a while. You float into it. You um, have a more intense orgasm, too. When you have an estrogenic orgasm, especially for a woman, it's usually a clitoral orgasm. And it's like having a sneeze. It's not like having one of these deep internal orgasms that would be typically more of a G-spot orgasm, um, a, a cervical orgasm, or a blended orgasm that would be from the stimulation of the clitoris as well as either the G-spot or the cervix. Cannabis tends to concentrate and accumulate cadmium, that's a heavy metal, from soil it is grown in, making it a big source of heavy metals. Heavy metals directly antagonize our minerals and more. So people who have a heavy metal load, whether it's from cannabis, whether it's from um, dental work, whether it's from vaccinations, whether it's from a diet of fortified foods, there's a zillion ways we can get heavy metals into our system. The more heavy metals we have, the lower our minerals are going to be because our minerals are being antagonized. And cannabis, whether it's grown in the best quality soil, is still going to concentrate cadmium. Now you could say, what if it's hydroponic? Yes, it would still have less cadmium if grown hydroponic, but it would still intrinsically be a source of phytoestrogens. So something to consider right there. If you find this information appetizing, um, you may want to take the cannabis course. Epiphany is saying, Never try any recreational drugs. I'm very boring. I don't smoke anything and I don't drink. That's not boring. Uh, I think sometimes people who rely on those things to have fun, that's boring. 
Because if you can't have fun without taking the edge off, that's really not so fun. No, is it? Right? Kind of makes you think. And remember, we live in a society where uh, it's not just promoted, but it's okay to anesthetize ourselves, right? Because there are a lot of horrors that happen in this world. That, that's, a, that's an obvious, right? But we want to kind of get away from that, right? And of, of course, a lot of us grew up and maybe we had stuff that was terrible happen to us when we were small, maybe when we were, you know, in our adult life. And I understand why people use certain substances to not face the things that happen to them. Like I said, I'm not judging anyone here for any of the things that they've done. I've used these things myself in the past too. So it's not like I'm sitting on some high place saying, hey guys, I've never used any of these, you know, and then looking down at everyone. It's not like that at all. I'm just saying there's a different way to go about life and living and, and being happy, right? And, and feeling good in your skin and feeling good as you go on in your years, having energy, you know, having appetite for life. It doesn't have to be the way that they tell us it has to be. So now let's talk a little bit about uh, libido from a TCM perspective. This is pretty interesting stuff right here. It's always kind of interesting to give like the Western and the Eastern perspective on things. So here's a little bit about libido or sex drive from a TCM perspective. Now, of course, there are times in someone's life where they may not feel horny. Um, maybe if they are really tired, maybe if they're recovering from an illness or a surgery. Um, sometimes women don't feel like they want to have sex when they're menstruating Typically, after a woman has a baby immediately, she's not really like physiologically or, you know, uh, psychologically in a place to want to have sex. Sometimes we associate low libido with going through uh, menopause with a change of life, even though there's some interesting research that after a woman goes through um, what they call the change of life, that the cervix is actually no longer... Um, basically having the, the cervical fluid go through that process after they go through the change, because every, every year, right, every year, every month for decades on end, a woman is producing cervical mucus. So after a woman goes through the change, she's no longer having that monthly cervical mucus thing. So the cervix, the nerves in the cervix actually become more activated after menopause. So the capacity to have the best sex of your life can actually happen after you go through that change. Also, the worry of getting pregnant or for some people or women, the worry of dealing with your, you know, your cycle, that kind of goes by the wayside. So now it's like sex can fully be enjoyed just for the pleasure aspect, right? So the more you take care of your body before the change, the more you're going to be able to reap the rewards past that point when you're in your crone years. And of course, that would be true for men too. Of course, we're talking in the context of women right now because we're talking about a, something that a woman goes through in her cycle of life. But if we take care of ourselves, we can have um, good health, good libido, good appetite, good mood, all of that stuff as we, you know, get on in our years. Just because we're getting on in our years doesn't mean that we have to not have interest in anything anymore. And of course, if someone was in their earlier years, like if a woman was in like her 20s 
and she had no interest in sex, that would be more of, I'd say, an issue than if someone was a little bit older, because when someone gets older, they usually experience more issues with like organ lag and, and low metabolic function. But this was happening to a woman like in their 20s or so. That would be, I would think, from a practitioner perspective, more of an issue. So what are some of the problems people have with their sex life? This, could, of course, could be men and women, but typically we always think of it towards women, but men too can have a low libido. It's not necessarily just a female issue. And like I said earlier, sometimes when you have high estrogen, you may have this kind of like, I've got to get off now type of uh, libido, which would be, of course, estrophilia. But oftentimes high estrogen could also make you have no libido at all. So it really depends on the person. Everyone has a different relationship to sex based on how they grew up, what they were told about sex within the household, whether they grew up with a lot of religious um, indoctrination. Oftentimes people who grow up in a very religious household have kind of um, skewed ideas about sexuality, which can take decades to unravel sometimes. So what can be issues with sex? Lack of desire, lack of arousal, failure to orgasm, which is known as inorgasmia, or pain or discomfort with intercourse. Typically that would be a female issue. I never really heard of men having pain or discomfort with intercourse, unless of course they had an erection that was lasting for hours on end, which I think is called priapism, where you're just like, you can't get soft, which is, you know, that's not, um, that's not a good thing. And that could be induced by drugs, but also not induced by drugs. So what would low libido be from a TCM perspective? So a lack of libido is usually diagnosed in traditional Chinese medicine as weak kidney key. So key is energy. So the kidneys, the door to life. So there would be, there would be a low energy in the kidney area, as well as heart blood deficiency. So deficiency of blood in the heart area. The kidneys are considered to be the root of reproductive energy as well as the emotions, as reflected by the heart, also play a vital role in female sexuality. And also something to remember too, that for women, if the heart is hurting, if there's blood deficiency in the heart, if there's like a stagnation in the heart, the heart is directly connected to the cervix. There's actually even a nerve that goes from the heart to the cervix. So if a woman is like heartbroken or her heart aches, typically her cervix is not going to be in a position to receive either, you know, penetration from a penis or a finger or, or something else. Those things are very much connected. Oftentimes women who have cervical pain or numbness when their cervix is touched, it'll either feel painful or it'll feel like numb, like nothing. That's a sign that the heart is hurt. Something happened that hurt her heart and she's holding on to the trauma inside of her yoni. Now, of course, there are things like yoni massage, which could open a woman up and kind of heal the heart in that process. I posted something earlier in the week about the third gate. There are three gates of female arousal in the TCM uh, modality. The first one's the clitoris, the second is the G-spot, the third is the cervix. And of course you have to start with, you know, part one, then part two, and then part three. But a lot of men don't know this. A lot of women don't know this. A lot of women don't know how to tell men this. But if there's a lot of communication within um, the confines of a relationship, that in itself can be a lubricant or a libido or an arousal enhancer if you're able to talk about sex with your mate. And I know a lot of people aren't comfortable, but if you're going to show yourself to someone without your clothing on, you should be comfortable talking to them about sex. Lack of arousal is related also to weak kidney energy, just like lack of libido is. But in this case, it's attributed to weak kidney energy 
yin. So as people get older, their yin, their softness, their playfulness, their kind of ah, their relaxed feel goes down. Yin is what gives our bodies lubrication. So giving herbs that tonify kidney yin can help someone get aroused earlier. There are also foods you can eat to stimulate kidney yin. And also certain substances can make us less yin. Um, well, certain substances actually kind of make us feel yin temporarily, and that would be things like coffee and alcohol and marijuana. Those take off the edge because everything else is so young, but all of those substances are extremely drying. Alcohol is drying, caffeine is drying, marijuana is drying. So they, they kind of take the edge off, but at a price, right? And of course, for good lubrication, we want good proteins, we want good fats, we want hydration, we want fiber, we want movement, we don't want our pelvises to get stagnant. So there's a lot, there's a lot to it, but it doesn't have to seem like it's this massive list. It all becomes part of a lifestyle when it's just taken as part of, you know, living a great life. Failure to orgasm or inorgasmia is related to stagnation, in particular stagnation of liver key. Now, I remember years ago, I was on the birth control pill. This is going back to like my late teens, early 20s. Um, and I remember there was a time in my life where I was dealing with inorgasmia for like a good six months, actually. And at the time, I didn't realize it was tied to the pill. I also had problems where I couldn't use the toilet. I was going to the bathroom like once a week, which is just awful. Imagine all that stagnant feces all the estrogen recirculating into my system. The pill itself is very estrogenic. So that, of course, was stagnation of liver key, and I didn't know what it was, and eventually it ended up going away, and then I got off of the pill, and my whole forehead area was breaking out, and that and TCM would be tied to the small intestines. It was terrible. All of this just to prevent pregnancy for the five to seven days in a cycle that you can get pregnant. I mean, of course, I didn't know any of this at this point. I was, I was very young, but anyway stagnation in the pelvic area or in the liver key, liver energy area would be what causes inorgasmia. So the liver channel th flows through the genitals and the liver is responsible for a smooth flow of energy through the body. So lack of orgasm is related to an interruption of this energy flow. So somebody would need to take key moving herbs or eat foods that move key. And I, when I work with people, I don't necessarily tell them, oh, just take herbs straight away. Herbs and supplements are the frosting on top of an already good lifestyle that's like a piece of cake. That's what I work with first. You get the good habits down, you um, have the bad habits naturally fall off as the good habits come in and you build a healthy diet, healthy environment, you spend time with healthy people who don't abuse substance, and then all of the bad habits fall by the wayside and you can use herbs and supplements, but if you're just gonna do everything like you have been doing, and you're gonna just band-aid on the herbs and supplements, you're not gonna see a change. And finally, painful intercourse. Painful intercourse is related to stagnation, particularly blood stagnation. In Western medicine, painful intercourse is associated with the diagnoses of endometriosis or fibroids, but in TCM, the pain is attributed to some kind of local obstruction. These patients are usually given blood-moving herbs or blood-moving food. So that's a little bit there. And of course, it came more from a female perspective, but you know, men can have these issues too. Typically, it's more rare for a man to suffer from uh, inorgasmia. It's usually easier for a man to have an orgasm because the glands of his penis is more easily stimulated. It's right there. But a lot of women, especially if um, 
their clitoris is at a different angle than the man's penis, it's going to be different if the man doesn't know how to move his body in a certain way. Uh, if a woman's not aroused properly, typically for men, they get aroused, I think, within 15 minutes. Women, it can take 45 minutes. So there's a lot that we don't know about each other that we should know about each other. But these issues, like I said, they can be fixed. It doesn't have to be like a death sentence. And I know sometimes when we feel low libido, we don't necessarily feel connected to our bodies. So even doing something like giving ourselves a massage it could be a, a central massage that would include yoni massage and breast massage, or it could just be a regular massage just to have a chance to be tactile with your body. Or if you have a mate, have your mate massage you. This can kind of build a relationship with your body and that could spark uh, some feelings of libido. So just something to, to consider, putting it out there. Let's take a gander at the chat. Epiphany is saying that um, she hasn't been feeling um, like she has a libido since menopause hit last December and she's 54. Well, I would give it time. I mean, things can change and maybe implementing some of these some of these tips, right? I mean, I think oftentimes like the body goes through, you know, changes and that's that's part of, um, of being alive, right? And obviously don't beat yourself up for it, you know, or anything like that. Just um, think about, you know, things that maybe could be different if you wanted it to be different. XO They Live is saying two shows live going on at once. Oh, cool. Okay, I think I'm going to take a small break right now just because I want to have some water. I don't want to keep on like taking like little breaks. So let me find um, some type of uh, tunes to put on for everybody. And I will be right back in just a moment on this little uh, break. Okay, um, White Wellness Radio, your host Tabitha, Estrophilia, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We were born before the wind Also younger than the sun And the bonnie boat was one As we sail into the mystic Heart now hear the sailors cry Smell the sea and feel the sky let your soul and spirit fly into the mystic. And when that fog horn blows, I will be coming home. Mm. And when the fog horn blows, I want to hear it. I don't have the fear that I want to rock your gypsy soul Just like way back in the days of old And magnificently we will fold into the best day
Where that fork You know I will be coming home Yeah, when that fork horn whistle blows I gotta hear it I don't have to fear it at all I rock your gypsy soul Just like way back in the days of old And together we will go And do the best thing Come on, girl into the mystic 1970 and i am tabitha you are listening to white wellness this is estrophilia before the break we were talking about traditional chinese medicine and some ways that we can deal with low libido low arousal inorgasmia um, sexual pain all those types of things so now what i think um let's see, josh is saying something I, I only hear static when you're playing background music tabitha that's weird okay I can hear it um, fine, but that is uh, weird. Hmm, I'll have to see what I can do about that. Um, thanks for telling me, though. All right. Probably the problem with my, my speaker right there. Sorry about that. So we're back, and we're talking about um, estrogen, of course, the shock hormone, the stress hormone, not the female hormone. And we're talking about the modern fetish of hormone imbalance and demineralization, which go hand in hand. Of course, we need minerals to make enzymes and enzymes to make hormones. And we're about three generations deep now of living on a devitalized or devitalized, they would say across the pond or down under, a diet that is just not working for us, a lifestyle, an environment that is just not working for us. And now we're dealing with all different types of problems in this world, uh, low libido, um, gut problems, um, nutrient absorption problems, blood sugar fluctuations, liver problems, problems with uh, detoxification, constipation and elimination issues, uh, stress problems, adrenal problems, inflammation, a lot of stuff. And then because of this, people want to take the edge off and they're utilizing substances like coffee and alcohol and marijuana when, unbeknownst to them most likely, these issues are actually making things worse. They're making their mineral production lower. They're making their enzyme production lower, and it's fiddling with their sex hormones, and it's raising their stress hormones. So now let's talk a little bit about the vital life force of sex. I've talked about this before in other broadcasts, and I also mentioned that these generations of, of younger people, like let's say the Zoomer generation, the silent era generation, which are people who were born from like 1945 to 25, many of those people are, you know, in their older years now, of course, that generation had more sex than the Zoomer generation does. So, of course, there are more distractions these days. There's gaming, there's pornography, there's, you know, 
just everything, all these dop dopamine hits at our fingertips, different types of dopamine hits at our fingertips, and people are just having less sex. Could it be possibly the oyed AI culture, the indoor culture? Sure, that's part of it. But I think it's also that people just don't have the key, the vital energy, or even the energy to know how to talk to one another. I notice when I go into the stores that these younger generations don't even make eye contact and say hello to you if they're like a checker at like a food store or something like that. And I don't take it personally, of course, because I, I understand um, where a lot of people are at. So it's it's not a personal thing. And of course, it's not really a judgment thing either. It's just an observation of, of what's going on. But I think that it plays a role with the lack of the vital life force, which of course is sex. We're all here because of sex, right? Because of because of a period, because of sex, we're all here. Or unless we're test tube babies, but for the most part, most of us are here because of sex. So when you connect with someone sexually, it creates energetic and physical changes in your body. That is absolutely true. And this could be good or bad. Like if you're with someone who's a sexual vampire, this is not gonna be good stuff, obviously. It physically changes your blood chemistry, which in turn sends messages to your brain. That's why after you have sex, you produce oxytocin. Women produce oxytocin after they give birth. After you get a hug, you produce oxytocin. Actually, even after witnessing a birth, you'll release oxytocin. It's that feel-good hormone. It's a bonding hormone. This is vital life force. It is why you feel so alive. And with the absence you may be experiencing right now is why you feel so drained and low. So that could be one of the kind of panoramic societal reasons why people in general kind of have this malaise and this kind of mundane glaze over them because we're not really playing with this vital life force of sexuality. Plus, of course, I blame part of it on the whole um, AIDS hoax of like the 80s and 90s. I did a number on a lot of people's brains thinking that anyone they did anything with, they would get this, you know, terrible virus and just drop dead. Sex provides you nourishment physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It is the glue that powers your relationship and supports the creation of what you both want in life. What that means is when it's not happening, it is draining your relationship and your bank balance. And yeah, that is true. People or couples that have more sex usually are more financially um, successful. To put it bluntly, your health, your wealth, and your well-being is tied to your sex life. So sex is creative force. If you're someone who's an ascetic, if you're like a celibate yogi or a monk or something, and you're not having sex, you're channeling that creative energy into prana, into life force, into meditation. So you're not just like sitting on the couch and eating nachos. More and better sex equals better health. And I would argue that bad sex, especially sex with someone who's an energy vampire or a narcissist, that could actually like make your health worse. The Chinese are experts at this, and for thousands of years, they have been sharing how vital life force flows and is affected by sex and how it affects our organs. There are actually even certain positions in TCM, as well as in um, the Kama Sutra, which is Ayurvedic, where certain positions are done for like diabetes. Like this is a good sex position for diabetes. And like now we all we hear is like on the cover of Cosmo, like, you know, wow her with this position or, you know, wow him with this position. And it's totally based on like performance. You know, so much of our sex culture is performative and we have to blame porn for that. Like people are just performing. And if you're just performing during sex, how much of it is actually really you and not just you trying to be what you think you're supposed to be, right? 
So in, in the TCM modality, there are positions that, you know, are good for pelvic health, um, you know, other types of things, blood sugar. This is, this is really what it's about. Just like there are yoga poses that are good for that. This is an extension of self-care. Good regular sex keeps your organs functioning properly. Conversely, a lack of sex or unskilled sex, and most of us grew up with pornography as our sexual education, which is really unfortunate, sets off a negative domino effect on the body. According to Chinese medicine, the liver controls your emotions, vital life force, so the liver flows through the genitals, like we were just talking before about liver key stagnation leading to inorgasmia. When you flow through the genitals, when your flow through the genitals is not supported through sexual stimulation, the congestion can create blockages, which turns to physical problems. So now we have a culture where so many women are getting off on a vib vibrator, right? Because they have key stagnation in the liver, they probably have no clue, right? And they're, you know, taking things like birth control pills, you know, eating a terrible diet, keeping a terrible life cycle, like going to sleep really late, you know, looking at their phone in the, the, the wrong hours of the day. And then they have all this congestion and they wonder why they can't have an orgasm. Or they have like a terrible partner who's completely and totally unskilled or they're completely and totally traumatized or it's a combination of everything, right? So what's the result of all this? Health problems, fatigue, aches and pains, lack of concentration, mood swings, accelerated aging, combined with a reduced sex drive and desire for your partner, which then leads to relationship detriment, nagging, resentment, anger, bickering, the list goes on. It's an awful pain-filled downward spiral. You may have heard it before, but I am always saying that the more sex a couple is having, the less they fight and the more money they make. If you are single, the same goes. You just bypass the fighting. Instead, it may be your addictive relationship with Netflix or Instagram, and you need to break up with that and change to a healthier connection with it. So this doesn't absolve people who are single and not in a relationship. They just may be putting your energy into something else. Masturbating also can infuse you with the health benefits or blood that is alive. And the hormone resets, the healthier heart, great skin is just an, also the skip in your step. Uh, making love to yourself also um, honors your desire to yourself. And I think May is like National Masturbation Month. I don't know if that's like some crap that's like started by trannies or like just like degenerates. But anyway, I remember hearing that like years ago. So I figured I would just say it. So what comes first? The lack of libido, arguing or resentment or the lack of good sex that is nourishing that results in the above. Hmm, kind of a chicken or egg situation right there. So very interesting um, stuff to kind of ponder, right? And, and think about. And um, I know sometimes people think when they're with someone for a while that it's supposed to like simmer down, but it doesn't have to. It definitely doesn't have to. So we think of sex as basically an extension of health. We brush our teeth, we take showers, we eat the right food, we do yoga, we take walks, we lift weights, we do pranayama, and we have sex. Those are ways to beat the estrophilic culture. So now I wanted to mention something else. Uh, this is a very uh, controversial subject. Uh, I've thought about mentioning this before on the broadcast for quite some time. Um, I think the time is, is ready for me to mention it. 
So we live in this society, like I was saying earlier, where we have this whole like, you know, fear of AIDS, just still kind of like looming in the background, like those stupid adverts on YouTube for, you know, Bictarvi or all these like HIV medicines, HIV. They've also hoaxed this out at the vet saying like, cats have FIV and you should get your cat vaccinated for like feline immunovirus, like all this hoax stuff. They got the rabies hoax going with that too. I mean, so much of society is just a hollow hoax, obviously. So ever since the whole AIDS hoax, which I fell for as a, you know, a teen, I thought because of the Sex in the 90s show that was on MTV that like normal looking people were going to like have AIDS, right? I mean, I, I was never really scared that anyone I was, you know, going to engage with would have like a disease, but it was just put into like the culture that people were out there, like, you know, by the numbers, by massive numbers that were all like, you know, carrying some of, of you know, disease. And then I was thinking the other day how back in the like 70s and 80s, remember how it was called VD, venereal disease? That's what the word was. And the word venereal, I believe in Latin, has something to do with the genitals, but that was the word. It was venereal disease. And they would use that word to describe gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, etc. So in Latin, oh, it comes from Venus. That makes total sense. Venus, you know, sexual love, like the goddess Venus, the planet Venus, which of course is uh, the zodiac sign Taurus for May. My zodiac sign is ruled by Venus. It's the green planet. So that would make sense. So it's a they're saying it's a sex disease or a love disease or a sexual love disease. So first it was called VD or venereal. Then sometime in my my years of becoming sexually active, it became STD, sexually transmitted disease. So now we have this idea that, oh, it's transmitted during sex. It must be contagious. And then they got rid of that disease piece. Ooh, disease was too spooky. We can't have that anymore. So now it's STI, sexually transmitted infection, because an infection sounds better, like disease sounds like the scarlet letter, right? So now it's an STI. But the interesting thing about this, just how you can't catch a cold, just how you can't catch a flu, you can't catch an STD from somebody. The reason somebody would deal with an STD, or I'll just call it VD, I, I prefer that. The reason why someone would be dealing with VD, with chlamydia, what they call like the clap was chlamydia. No, I think the clap was gonorrhea, the drip was chlamydia. These are like old words from the 70s. Uh, you know, crabs, um, what else? Uh, syphilis, uh, herpes. All of these things are not transmitted sexually in the regards of like contagion or a virus. It has to do with toxins that people exude from their fluids, but it also has to do with how you feel when you have a sexual experience with somebody. So if you have a sexual experience with somebody and you maybe you didn't want to do it, maybe you didn't like how you felt after, maybe it wasn't very good. So you form these feelings, these conflicts, these emotions about the sexual experience. And that is how the dis-ease shows up. That's how the chlamydia manifests. That's how the herpes manifests. And I think also in the case of herpes, especially if it's herpes simplex one, there's also a um, nutritional aspect of that being low on the amino acid glycine can also cause people to have like frequent cold sores. That's a little bit different. And that's usually, uh, you know, regarded as more of like an oral type of thing as opposed to like a, a genital or like a VD thing. So the idea that you could actually get a dis-ease from contagion, whether it's sexual or someone like sneezing on you, is a hoax. We pick up diseases based on 
we don't pick them up like contagion, but we, our bodies, our energy fields, our auras pick them up based on toxicity and based on um, emotions, emotional conflicts, like feelings of disgust, you know? And of course, how many people have had a sexual encounter where they felt disgusted, where they felt used, coerced, uh, it was terrible, you know, awful. So that could definitely play a role in why somebody would develop some type of disease. What if someone was cheated on, right? So we see how this is definitely more to it than they tell us, but you know, they want to control society through these things, so they hoax us and they lie us, lie to us. So now we have this whole hoax narrative that, oh my God, all these diseases are communicably um, you know, available to us through sexual contact. We can get VD. We should never touch someone's sexual fluids, right? Like they're on fire, like they have like AIDS all over them, right? Jump out of the way as soon as you see the fluids. <clears throat> One second. So this is actually an inversion. And we also see this playing out somewhat in the porn culture where we have a lot of this um, pornography that's obsessed with the money shot, that's obsessed with things like cream pieing. All of these things are ways to defile the natural essence of the sexual fluids. And I'm talking about semen for men and um, not just yoni fluid for women, which would be like a woman's arousal juices, but I'm also talking about amrit, which would be the um, fluid that comes out of the skein's gland when a woman squirts. So for women, it's actually two fluids. For men, it would just be semen. Of course, semen has sperm in it, and it's a reproductive fluid that's a little bit different than the ladies' fluids. But these fluids are actually very healthy. They have vitamins and minerals in them. I actually could argue, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, that before we had vitamins and minerals and all this kind of shit for brains, like, you know, idea of taking supplements and the idea of people using condoms and all of that, dental dams, that's got to be the most ridiculous thing. I don't know if everyone knows what a dental dam is, but it's this square of like latex or polyurethane that you're supposed to put over someone's um, yoni during cunnilingus and then go about doing it. I've never known or heard of anybody who ever did that. That's just like the weirdest thing in the world. If you have to do that, you obviously shouldn't be with that person. Or if you have to use a condom during fellatio, you should not be with that person or you should not be doing that activity, period. If you are, that's like, that's like wearing a mask to the food store. I mean, come on, right? So I postulate in regards to these fluids, talking about Amrit, we're talking about um, yoni arousal fluid and semen. I believe that these fluids have minerals in them. And I know from reading a lot of ancient Ayurvedic and Taoist texts that these that fluids do have minerals in them, especially if a man is to last long enough to pleasure a woman, her yoni will emit zinc and he'll get it through his penis and absorb it. Of course, not wearing a condom. And I also have another theory that the reason we see so many men who are bald nowadays, besides there's a lot of reasons for everything, it's just one reason that I think about. We see so many bald men because they're either having sex with a condom or they are masturbating all the time for release and they're not getting that zinc from women. Men who have long-term relationships typically where they're having sex where the woman is actually having an orgasm where she's emitting the zinc, they're going to get the zinc into their body just like a woman would be getting the zinc into her body if she was practicing something like the fertility awareness method and she would be getting 
the zinc into her body and she would, you know, through the ejaculate going into her yoni. And of course, she would avoid that during the five to seven days of the window of, you know, pregnancy, unless, of course, she was trying to get pregnant or if she was past the change, right? So we see there's this huge agenda, what's called an agenda, that's been going on for quite some time to villainize these sexual fluids as being dirty and disgusting and vile and full of AIDS and, oh my God, let's pornify it and make these uh, pornographic videos where, you know, people are just exposing, you know, their fluids all over people and stuff to make it look uh, as disgusting and fetishized as possible when these are actually life-giving fluids. And in the case of men, this is actually a fluid that holds the next generation. It's the fertilizing fluid, essentially, because women hold the next generation, but it's it's the fertilizing fluid for the next generation. So we can see how how they work, right? It's, it's pretty, pretty obvious. Just something to consider, um, you know, if you're out and about thinking about things, thinking about interesting ways to get minerals at a very low price, this is a good way to go about it. Let's take uh, a gander at the, uh, the chat. Okay, there we go. All right, so yeah, I think I've got one more subject that I want to talk about for today's broadcast. Um, oh yes, this is a very interesting list that I found online. So we talked about a lot of stuff today. We talked about TCM context of things. We talked about sexual life force, sexual fluids. Uh, we talked about estrogen. We talked about the testosterone epidemic. We talked about how our modern habits of utilizing coffee and alcohol and marijuana uh, actually deplete us more once we're in a depleted state and how we rely on those once we get depleted. So now let's finish out the broadcast with this list. It's a very interesting list about, um, here we go. It's from a pretty groovy site that is on, not site, channel rather, that's on Telegram. It's called Masculine Brainwash. I, I like that name. And it talks about how to avoid estrogens. And this is from a book called Estro Generation. I believe the PDF is floating around somewhere online. And it talks about simple steps to go about reducing estrogen in your food, in your lifestyle, etc. So after all this talk about sex and life force and libido and estrogen dominance and ill organ health and low metabolism, let's close it out with things that we can do to kind of remove stress hormones from our, our system so we'll feel really groovy. And there are three tiers to this estro degeneration, uh, estrogeneration plan. There's the golden plan, which is like the most strict, I guess. There's the uh, silver and there's the bronze. So here are some of the tenants. One would be avoiding ingredients that include bens or fen in the, um, in like the ingredient label. Both of those I believe are estrogenic and progesterone blockers. Uh, with grains, you want to be really careful about grains. You want to eat grains that are not sprayed with glyphosate, um, especially wheat, corn, and oats tend to be sprayed the most with glyphosate. So you want to be conscious of that by only eating organic grains and only eating grains that are not fortified as well. This is really important. And of course, you know, preparing your grains properly, soaking them, um, fermenting them, Peanuts are a really big source of estrogen, especially if they are not organic. 
Um, coffee, like we talked about, especially cheap coffee. Uh, cheap coffee can oftentimes have mold, have gluten, have bugs inside of it. Um, chocolate in general is also estrogenic, especially the cheaper chocolates. And um, also there's been talk recently of a lot of the major chocolate brands having heavy metals in them as well, something to consider. Um, dairy products, especially if they are A1, uh, if they're protein-rich A1, that's going to be pretty estrogenic. Uh, you want to basically get grass-fed dairy, preferably in glass if you can. I know not all farms will offer it in glass, but something to consider. Same thing goes with butter. You want to eat grass-fed butter. Uh, eliminate um, liquids stored in plastic, especially oils. Uh, in general, I wouldn't recommend using too many oils, especially if they're high in PUFA. I would stick to the MUFA ones like monounsaturated uh, olive oil and macadamia nut oil. Eliminate, eliminate fragrances and personal care products as well as laundry detergents and dryer sheets. Eliminate processed foods, plastic shower curtains, vinyl flooring, uh, tiling, wallpaper, plastic countertops, things like that. Uh, bathroom soap that has like fragrances, um, cannabis, candles that aren't made of beeswax, any of those like scented candles, those are like big, like those Yankee candles, those are all toxic. Uh, avoid plastics in your environment if you can. Try to, you know, get things that are wood or glass. Um, eliminate carpets or use Green Label Plus certified carpets. Avoid canned food and metal. Try to get food that is jarred if you can. Uh, there are brands now, like you can buy tomato sauce in a jar, you can buy beans in a jar already cooked, you can buy tuna in a jar, anchovies in a jar. So these things are available. If you eat seafood, only eat wild seafood from good quality water. Only eat grass-fed organic meats um, and grass-fed organic animal fats. And there's been some stories going around recently about the mRNA vaccination possibly being in meat. I've gotten some emails from some companies that swear they're not doing this to their meat, but I would be leery of eating meat from the supermarket for many reasons, not just this possible vaccination. I would be leery of eating supermarket meat because it's feeding on glyphosate-laden grain. Uh, it's very high in polyunsaturated fats. The animals are tortured. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why I wouldn't eat that meat. Eating only free-range eggs. Filtering your water for not just drinking, but also for cooking and showering and taking a further step. If you do a whole house filter, you'd also filter the water that you're using to wash your clothes. Use glass or stainless uh, steel for you know all types of things, for drinking and things like that. Uh, use fragrance-free or estrogenic-free cleaning products. Um, children's toys, especially chewable or teething toys. Children could always have wood toys as well, or toys made of rubber or latex. Use estrogenic-free uh, sunscreen. If you do use sunscreen, it should be like mineral sunscreen, like zinc sunscreen. Avoid mold. Mold in itself can be estrogenic. Uh, avoid all soy unless it's fermented. I think some traditional fermented soy, like soy sauce, miso, and natto can be okay, and that's typically organic, and it's, it's made in a very traditional method, but I would avoid things like soy milk and tofu and, you know, all the other terrible things that they have on the market. Eliminate flax, um, whether it's flax oil or flax seed. Eliminate lavender. I wouldn't use um, 
lavender oil. I wouldn't use lavender lotion. Um, I wouldn't make lavender tea, things like that. Eliminate oral contraception. Uh, that would go, I think that would go for all things. Like I would say birth control pills got to go, NuvaRing, Deprovera, even the IUD, which is not always hormonal. Some of them are, but those block progesterone. It can make you like um, high in, in copper. So that's not something that you want to do. Eliminate plastic cups, sippy cups, plastic lined mugs, use, use glass. Eliminate food dyes from your food. Uh, or your finger paint if you have children. Uh, eliminate microwaving in general. That would be kind of like a, a cheat guide of like what to eliminate. Plus other things I've talked about on the broadcast in the last couple of weeks or so, or just even going back much further than that. There's a lot of information that if one wanted to look back, you can get you can get a whole course, a course plus, just by looking back at some of the old broadcasts and shows that I've done about you know, how to basically make yourself uh, resilient to this astrophilic agenda. Um, there is definitely a modern fetish of hormone imbalance and demineralization. Just look at the TS agenda. Just look at Oyed AI. I mean, it is everywhere you look. Uh, even people who aren't even into the TS agenda are still part of this astrophilic uh, thing going on. This is really a problem of, you know, developed, you know, countries. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy how all these places that are, quote, primitive are dealing with less of this estrophilia than we are here in these, quote, developed areas where are we that developed or is something a bit backwards, right? I think there's something a bit backwards. Tiffany is saying, wonderful show today. These topics are, are, were, are vital to our health and sanity. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. So yeah, a lot, a lot to ponder here. Um, what to do? There's plenty of things to do. Never feel that you can't do anything. They want you to feel that way. There's always something that we can do. It's just, are we ready to do it? Sometimes we're not, and you know that that's okay. There were times in the past when I wasn't ready to do certain things, and then I became ready, and then I did them. So, but always remember that the information is here. It's it's waiting for you, whether you want the information or not. And of course, it's always your choice when you want to do it, but, you know, realize these things, realize that you have a lot of magic within you already. You have a lot of medicine already within you. And if you make small changes, you don't have to like totally uproot your whole life and beat yourself up for thinking that everything you're doing is wrong. Take small steps, add good stuff in, focus on adding good stuff in, as opposed to demonizing or villainizing yourself for having, you know, these habits that you don't want to have that maybe fiddling with your blood sugar, making you feel dull, making you feel kind of blah and stupid and numb. Focus on putting the good habits in and the habits that are less good will just fall away as opposed to making yourself feel terrible. Like that's the classic model of like addiction is like, you know, you're a terrible person, you're a piece of filth, um, you have no control over your problem. Uh, and, you know, here I am, I'm hopeless and helpless, you know, let's substitute the problem with with other stuff. That's not a sustainable model for anyone who's looking to make life changes, whether it's getting away from a mind-altering substance or forming a healthier diet or getting back in touch with our sexuality. Don't beat yourself up. They are hoping that you beat yourself up. Treat yourself with kind, gentle behavior. Treat yourself like you treat like a pet that you love. Think about your dog or your cat or someone else's dog or cat that's just amazing. It's this excellent animal that's got a beautiful coat who's always happy to see you. Treat yourself like that and you will see results. 
and you will not succumb to this astrophilic society, this culture that they want you to pull you down and um, make you feel low. And um, you're way better than that. So don't do it. So I think that's all I have to say for this broadcast. I'm getting hungry. I'm thinking about steak. I'm having a bison steak tonight, but I'm going to snack on some cottage cheese and berries before I have that bison steak. So thank you for listening. You have just finished the broadcast. I am Tabitha. This was Estrophilia on White Wellness Radio. Be sure to listen to all the broadcasts, new and old, and follow me on Telegram. And I have a new website too. Did I announce it on here? Gosh, did I? I don't even know if I did. Oh man, I've just been doing a lot of stuff lately, settling into like a new groove. But the White Wellness website, white-wellness.com is new. So that is up. Did I put it up? I think I did put a link of it up for the last show that I did. Yeah, I did put it up. That's right. The pendulum swings. I did. Okay. So I did put it up. The, the new website is ready. It's up. Take a look at that. Um, some of the shows are on there as well. And um, yeah. Okay. Enjoy the day. Happy Sunday, everybody. Satnam.